0: Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, terror case. Police and security agencies uh,
1: are very clear uh, that uh, the uh, the situation has been has been neutralized and un- and under control. Dramatic arrests
0: and charges in Ontario raise urgent new concerns about national security. The Minister of Border Security and Organized Crime Reduction Bill Blair will join us with the very latest. And then diplomatic disaster?
2: I think she has some strong arguments that she can make before a judge.
0: Canada's ambassador to China is fired after a series of shocking offside remarks. Is Justin Trudeau's China strategy now in total disarray at a critical juncture? And what does it all mean for two Canadians currently jailed in China? MPs are here to debate the fallout of the bombshell news. And then, political comeback?
1: I am running to represent the people of Bernard North Seymour. That would be a great honour. And I would be proud to serve in a caucus with Jagmeet Singh as leader.
0: Fifteen <laughs> years after a dramatic departure involving a stolen diamond ring, former NDP MP Sven Robinson is attempting a comeback. But is the star candidate already pulling the party farther to the left than Jagmeet Singh wants? Sven Robinson lets us know. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. After the dramatic arrest of two men, the RCMP have laid charges in an anti-terror case against at least one young person who can't yet be named under the Young Criminal Justice Act for facilitating a terrorist activity and counselling another person to use an explosive or lethal device that could cause death in a public place. All this unfolded after the FBI tipped off the RCMP about two suspects, one a Syrian refugee, who they allege were manufacturing a homemade bomb and had planned an attack, no target was chosen. Now, police have yet to release the motive, but it raises the question, is Canada taking security concerns seriously enough? Let's find out. Joining me now, the Border Security and Organized Crime Reduction Minister, Bill Blair, is in Toronto. Mr. Blair, I want to start with this: these, uh, these uh, arrests. One of the suspects in the arrest in Kingston allegedly... Uh, A Syrian refugee, your government has... Has your government gone back to do uh, checks on the security screening protocol for the people involved?
3: Well, I I can tell you, Evan, that this is an investigation being conducted by the RCMP, and, and with such investigations, the appropriate... Um, release of information should always just come from the RCMP and so you know, they'll, as they'll bring they bring information forward it'll inform the work that we're doing but we've been working very closely with the RCMP and CBSA for very many months and and on, on ensuring that the hundreds of thousands of people across our border each and every day are subject to very rigorous security background checks Um, Overwhelmingly, that has worked very effectively to keep our country safe. And occasionally, some individuals may become involved in criminality. But it's not appropriate to comment on that ongoing matter until the RCMP chooses to release it. And and
0: I understand this particular case is the ongoing investigation. But if indeed one of the suspects was a Syrian refugee, does it mean your government has to now go back and re-examine security protocols vis-a-vis the 40,000-plus uh, Syrian refugees who have come in. Would that be enough to, for a full re-examination?
3: Well, I, I can tell you, Evan, that everything depends on the evidence that, that comes forward in that investigation. And if there is indication and evidence that, that processes can be improved... Then, then certainly we would be informed by that. But again, you're asking me to speculate. The RCMP will conclude their investigation and the appropriate inf- release of information should come only from that investigative body. And, and we're quite prepared to, you know, we, we work very closely Um, with with them and and to respond to any issues that may arise as a result
0: let's talk about another issue that people are looking for results your mandate as in this ministry is to modernize the safe third country agreement with the united states as you know that's supposed to stop the flow of irregular slash illegal asylum seekers uh tens of thousands have crossed over the border it has cost canadians hundreds of millions of dollars what have you done practically to stop the flow?
3: Actually, we've, we've done a great deal of work and we've achieved a, a significant level of success. First of all, with respect to the Safe Third Country Agreement, that's a bilateral agreement between Canada and the United States. It's been in place since 2004. We've reached out to Homeland Security. I went down and met with their senior officials in that department, Secretary Nielsen's people. We've also corresponded. I've been working with Minister Freeland and our Canada's ambassador in the United States. There's a lot of work going ongoing between us, and how we can enhance and improve that agreement to the mutual benefit of both countries. But that's not all we're doing,
0: Evan. Okay, We've sorry, put can a I lot Hey, sorry, Mr. Plano, hold on. I, just, just hold on. Pause. Let Let me just get practical here. One way to improve it is to stop what many call a loophole. Asylum seekers. They know the safe third country agreement only applies at legal border crossings. So they go to places like Roxham Road and they wander across the border. And guess what? They get put into the system. Municipalities are spending tens of millions of dollars trying to house these people while they're processed and the appeals process, which goes on for years. One practical fix is to make the safe third country agreement apply to the whole border, not just legal crossings. Have you made any progress changing that? Do you want to make that change with the U.S.?
3: You know, that is part of the ongoing discussion between ourselves and the United States. It's it's an agreement between the two countries. We cannot just unilaterally change the nature of that agreement, and that's why we're working very closely with the United States. But we're doing some other really important things that I think Canadians need to be aware of. First of all, we've we've, we've examined that system, and and we're looking at all the different ways in which we can disincentivize and discourage people from crossing irregularly, and encourage those who are seeking and require the protection of Canada and asylum, as they flee persecution and, and harm is to encourage them to come across the border regularly. We've, we've done that through outreach into those communities. But and it hasn't greater worked. Education. Like the
0: numbers we, haven't changed with those that much over the last year,
3: processes. Though. Actually, and, I, and I'll just disagree with you on that. And In fact, uh, uh, Evan, over the past several months, we've seen significant reductions in the number pr- presenting themselves, whereas uh, last summer we saw averages approximately 150 people a day. That number is now between 30 and 40. And it's also important to remember who's coming. These are vulnerable people, mostly families, uh, more than more, more than 40% of, of people crossing are children. And so, you know, they're carefully vetted to make sure that there's no threat of criminality and, and national security, and, 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 and that's important work that the RCMP and CBSA do.
0: One of the concerns as this becomes a big election issue is that your government, both the immigration minister and the prime minister, have politicized this issue. Is your party demonizing critics who fairly, they're not racist, they're not... Uh, They're just criticizing the immigration system and the border. Are you demonizing your critics to try to silence them?
3: I'll tell you what we are doing, Evan. We're working hard to make sure that Canadian law is upheld and applied appropriately and that we're managing these systems on behalf of all Canadians and every part of Canada in an efficient and effective way to protect the safety and security of our country and also to live up to our international obligations. We have had a long history... Of, of being a country where people have come seeking protection, and this is a place where they can receive it.
0: Tell me exactly when the prime minister says critics uh, on immigration are, quote, fear-mongering, there's intolerance, there's fear, there's misinformation. Who's doing this fear-mongering? I just want, I'm trying to get an example. Why is it fear-mongering to ask how to stop tens of thousands of people from irregularly marching across the border? Whether they're families or not, it's, a border is a border. What, what is fear-mongering about that? What is intolerant about that? I, seriously give can, me an example. Can I tell
3: you Adam that in my Evan in my experience fear is a truly the greatest enemy of public safety and when we become afraid of each other then, then we become less safe. And, that and wasn't so my question. My, my question was work
0: my question was who is the Prime Minister referring to? Who exactly is fear-mongering about the border? Who's intolerant? I just want to know. Who I think, is
3: it? I think, I think the Prime Minister is quite rightly reminding all Canadians that, that we are a country of immigrants and, and that when people come to our country seeking refuge we uphold and apply canadian law and for those who need our protection we are a welcoming country and for those who who are not eligible for that protection our processes work to quickly resolve that but and determine their eligibility and if they're not to be fair, not, to,
0: that, be fair what, to be fair what, to be fair municipalities and provinces the are not look at uh, nobody's against immigration and we have obligations for refugees and for asylum seekers but How can you defend a border where you have tens of thousands of people walking across and then it forces Canadians to pay hundreds of millions of dollars to process them to see if they belong here or in a safe third country like the United States? How can you defend that system as working when it clearly isn't?
3: Actually, and what we're trying to do is work very hard to make sure it works and to discourage and disincentivize people from crossing irregularly. We want people to enter the country at a regular point of entry and to apply our processes. But Canadian law is going to be applied regardless of how people come to this country. However they present themselves in Canada, if they seek asylum, they are entitled under our law. To, to due process and a fair hearing, and we're making sure that that happens. Uh-huh. And when they come into Canada, we're also working really closely with, with the provinces and with, and with the municipalities to make sure that the impact of those processes as we work through Canadian law and due process is not undue right. and, 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 and create hardship.
0: All right, got to leave it there. Bill Blair, great to have you on the program. Thank you, sir.
3: Thank you very much, Evan. Have a good day.
0: All right, coming up, diplomatic disaster. Canada's ambassador to China is fired yesterday after undermining Justin Trudeau's China strategy. Is Canada now losing control of the critical China file? How much damage has been done? MPs are standing by to debate this unfolding story. Stay right here with Question Period.
2: I think uh, she has quite good arguments on her side, Uh, one, political involvement by comments from Donald Trump in her case, Uh, two, there's an extraterritorial aspect to her um, case, and three, there's the issue of Iran sanctions, which are involved in her case, and Canada does not sign on to these Iran sanctions.
0: Well, loose lips sink ambassadors and Justin Trudeau finally fired his hand-picked ambassador to China, John McCallum, after a series of stunning public missteps. First, there was McCallum's shocking press conference with Chinese media where he outlined how the Huawei CFO, now detained in Vancouver, might avoid extradition to the U.S., saying if she was extradited, it would, quote, not be a happy outcome. Within days, McCallum issued a desperate apology, saying, quote, these comments do not accurately represent my position on this issue. As the government has consistently made clear, there's been no political involvement in the process. But then, shockingly, he repeated his offside remarks to the star metro in Vancouver, and that was it. Trudeau demanded his resignation. But what does it all say about the government's China strategy? Why wasn't Ambassador McCallum removed days earlier? Let's bring in MPs to find out. Coming to us from Toronto is Liberal MP Marco Mendocino. And with me here in studio is the Conservative immigration critic, Michelle Rempel. Good morning to both of you. Uh, Mr. Mendocino, your government uh, was defending Ambassador McCallum as late as Friday. Why was he fired?
2: Well, let me begin by saying that I know John McCallum and like most who've encountered him, hold him in high regard. I think his... Uh, career in public service will will, uh, stand the tests of time. Look, over the last number of days um, John made a number of statements which were both unhelpful and did not reflect the position of the government. That's why the Prime Minister asked for his resignation. The the opposition are going to try and play politics with this. They'll never turn down an opportunity to do so. Our government's top priority remains to secure the release of Mm. Mr. Kovrig and Mr. Spavor. And I would just add to that that we have successfully shored up support from around the world. The reason why we've got countries like the United States, the United Kingdom and Australia coming on board is that they know we honor our treaties they know that we share values when it comes right. to the rule of law and that's why they've joined Canada in okay. asking for the release of these two individuals who've been okay. arbitrarily uh, detained.
0: Ha- Alright, well it, it clearly it's not going so well because you fired your ambassador to China and, and what about planned politics with that? Michelle Rappel, what does it tell you that they finally let John McAllen go?
4: I don't, I, when I heard that it was like reading the fine print on a box of medication or something. Right? These are some really scripted talking points because this is a disaster with some serious consequences. Um, when I think about the lives of Canadians that are being detained in China right now, this has very serious implications for them. It has serious implications for our relationship with the U- United States. And this is a disaster. I mean, I, I you know, have had interactions with MPs as late as Friday where they said it was reckless to, to, to question this. And this is a disaster. McCallum was speaking on behalf of the government because he is our ambassador. You know, this was you know a very poor appointment. Uh, the fact that the government didn't terminate him, his position in in the first instinct or instance is a disaster. It's sure. a joke. And here we are. Like, so, I mean, how did they let this happen? Well,
0: let's find out, uh, Mr. Mr. Mendocino, Did your government give? ambassador mccallum the green light to hold that press conference first in toronto with chinese media just answer did he get the green light was that a government sanctioned event and that he just screwed up or or was that part of a a government sanctioned event
2: Ambassador McCallum obviously informed the government that there would have been a press conference, but I disagree with um, any kind of characterization that this is, there was some kind of coordinated effort here to introduce confusion into the public domain. Of course, that would not be helpful, and the Prime Minister stated as much. Okay, but sorry, and Mr. Mancino, no, hold on, hold on. I, I yes. just got
0: to ask you, if you admit that the government then sanctioned that event, but that Mr. McCallum then was, went rogue at that one event, Now, you admit then that he went rogue. Why didn't you fire him then? If he was offside then, why was your government still defending him and standing by an ambassador who now you've just admitted went rogue at that press conference?
2: Well, look, as I've said before, you have to take a look at the entirety of John McCallum's uh, public service career, which is one that has been marked with distinction. There was another uh, interview given, and obviously, post uh, that, uh, the prime minister asked for his resignation. as I said at the outset of my remarks, the opposition is going to want to fixate on Mr. McCallum. Our government knows that the way that we are going to secure the release of these two Canadians is to continue engaging diplomatically. Minister Freeland and I the actually, prime Minister actually, have been working the phone i 'm sorry if I could just finish the sentence, Michelle, and then I know that she'll well, retort. No, no, you 'll retort uh, Minister, put a Minister big freeland Minister freeland Minister Freeland has been working the phones, as has the Prime Minister. These are countries who have come to our side, and you know Evan, I would say. Canada knows what it's doing. Our government knows what yeah, it's doing when it comes to securing point. the release yeah, from other regimes. It's, it's, We've secured the release so, of Professor so, so Hudfar from Iran. we secured the release of Justin Pastor Lim when it came judgment. to North Korea. Okay, and we're not going to get like, anywhere by having this kind of po- partisanship.
0: Sorry, Mr. There's accountability. Go ahead. Yeah, go
4: ahead. I mean, this is not about fixating on McCallum. This is a lapse of judgment on behalf of the Prime Minister of Canada. I mean, what I speculate happened is that McCallum was talking to cabinet ministers either at their cabinet retreat over the last few months, and he just ran his mouth off. So, but unfortunately, he, is, he, he he was the voice of the government. That was his role as ambassador. So now, both the Americans and the Chinese know what the position of the government is, uh, it, it's it's a disaster for people who are having being held, and, and you know, like listen to the arrogance in the comments of the liberal here to question. You know, of course we're going. Of course the opposition is going to take issue with this because this was a massive lapse in judgment on behalf of the prime minister. I don't know how the government gets out of this at this point in time. They've put their cards completely on the table. They've uh, you know basically interfered in the independence of our judiciary. And you know, you know, Marco. Like sometimes when you're holding water for the government, you, you just need to be contrite in this and to come after the opposition parties for holding the government to account. And, it, like, it's just the arrogance okay. of this. It's both the ignorance and the arrogance that shows but, why your government but, needs well, to go. It's, but
0: Mr. Man, Mr. Menesino, yeah. Michelle Rempel yeah. asked a genuine question. I'd like an answer to. Was John McCallum twice now, both in Vancouver and Toronto, he repeated these remarks. Now, we all know that that your government's fired him because you now say it was inappropriate. But did he tip Canada's hand? Is that really what the Chinese want to know? That this is the Canadian position? Because we don't know who to trust. Do you trust what your ambassador says? Do we trust what you say? Honestly, it's a fair question. Did he reveal what Canada is really thinking behind the scenes?
2: Of course not, and I've said that now on a so number what of are we occasions. Thinking? And notwithstanding, and notwithstanding what the opposition may say, it's just not true, and it is irresponsible. But when it comes to the rule of law, look, Evan, I've worked on extradition matters, and I've worked on extradition appeals. This is a government that believes in the independence of the judiciary. This hearing, with regards to Ms. Meng, will be held in an unbi in a totally unbiased, and fair, and transparent okay, but how manner. Can that now? And continuing, and, like, and I mean, that is, why, of, of that is why we have the is. United States. That is why we have the United States and. United hang, hang Kingdom, on. who have. That is why we have had the United States and the United Kingdom come on board. And this, there's an important and crucial point here. In both of those instances, the United States, there is a Republican government. In the United Kingdom, there is a Conservative government. They have seen fit to look over the partisanship that sometimes occur in what, the what occurs in hustle and bustle of today's oh, politics. And, and what I'm saying is, is, that they have they have overlooked whatever uh, ideological political differences that may I, exist between the I don't political know spectrum the and saw fit what that that's not spin, Michelle. You have countries who are supporting okay, Canada when it comes to securing the release of these two
0: individuals. Okay, hang on. Uh, hey, I just want to sort this out. First of all, I'm not sure what y- your point is that there's a Conservative or Republicans that are supporting what you're now saying should be a justice issue. So I'm not sure if, yeah. you're, if this is a political process. But going back to this, Michelle Rempel, the, Marco Mendocino is arguing that, that the uh, opposition is politicizing something. My question is, do you believe that now having to fire the ambassador jeopard, puts the lives of Canadians in jail more in jeopardy and, and what does it do for Canada's position, which has been to try to get them out?
4: Well, absolutely. And I mean, it's not just me saying this. It's every journalist that's writing about this issue today has made that point. Um, I, and, and going back to the question of the American government, I mean, I, frankly, I don't understand where Marco was going with his spin. But the American government now must be looking at us and go, going, our, our, our partner to the north can't govern they are. We are interfering in the, in the independence of our ju- judiciary. This is nobody has seen a bungle of foreign policy like this in a generation. This is this is really bad, and it has serious implications. Michelle, for you lives should read the statement stake. of
2: Secretary Pompeo. It's very bad. If you read the Secretary of State's done. statement from the United States, the United Michelle,
4: States you would is not lauding Justin Trudeau on this matter. There is no way. That ju- the, the American government oh, is, okay. it has any faith in I have us 10 anymore. seconds,
0: but Mr. Mendocino, it's are ridiculous. you arguing that firing the ambassador to China like this actually helps Canada's position internationally? Is that actually the case? You believe this actually enhances Canada's credibility on the world stage?
2: What doesn't help is fixating on the events of the last few days. What does help is allowing the Foreign Service, the Foreign Minister, and the Prime Minister to continue engaging diplomatically with some of the most influential countries in the world who share our values when it comes to Uh, the rule of law and who have expressed unequivocal confidence in our ability to conduct rule of law proceedings like the extradition hearing. And, you know, Michelle, you can continue to interrupt, but that's not the way we conduct diplomacy here. Nobody wants to
4: listen to this. We want our our Canadians back.
0: Uh, i gotta, I got to leave it there. Obviously, uh, tense mornings here, but the ambassador to China now fired. Marco Mendocino, Michelle Rempel, I appreciate both of you coming in this morning. Coming up, the NDP gets a star candidate back, but is he already offside with his new leader? Former NDP MP Sven Robinson wants to make a political comeback, and he will join us next to tell us why. Stay right here with Question Period. He was an MP for 25 years. He made history in Parliament, the first openly gay MP. He fought for issues like medically assisted dying. But his political career came to a dramatic end 15 years ago after Sven Robinson admitted to stealing a diamond ring worth thousands of dollars. He was, as he openly admitted then, dealing with a mental illness issue. Now, Sven Robinson wants to make a political comeback. He's the NDP candidate for the riding of Burnaby North, which is just next to Jagmeet Singh's, the riding he wants to win. But what kind of NDP does Sven Robinson want to fight for? Let's find out. He joins us here in studio. Welcome back to Ottawa.
1: Good to be back, Evan.
0: And welcome back maybe to the political fray. i got to ask you, because I remember in 2004, after your dramatic exit uh, regarding the theft of the ring, you and I had a conversation, yeah. and I remember it very well what are you saying to people you're asking people for their vote and their confidence again how are you explaining that incident fifteen years later
1: it's interesting i'm i don't have to explain that incident one of the things that i did before i made the final decision to run was first of all i talked to to people that in in the community uh... i talked to people that that know me uh... community leaders people that were encouraging me to run and i said you know is this going to make a difference They said, look, it's 15 years ago, for starters, it's 15 years ago. Um, You made a terrible mistake. I acknowledge I made a terrible mistake. Um, But that's not who I am. That's not who I am. And they said, people know your record. They know the the record that you you have of service to the community before. They know afterwards. They know the issues around mental illness. There's a lot more awareness now, by the way, of of the whole challenges around mental illness. I made a mistake. Should I have to pay for that mistake for the rest of my life? I don't think so.
0: Let's get to the stuff they might be talking about now. You were on CTV's Power Play with my pal Don Martin, and you announced to everyone that as an NDP candidate, you believe there should be no new oil and gas infrastructure. That's correct. So you're not just against the Trans Mountain oil pipeline. That means you would be against the liquefied natural gas pipeline in British Columbia that the NDP government there supports.
1: You're against that as well. What I have said, let's be very clear. On what I've right. said is that w- we've been given a warning. This is the this is the IPCC report, okay, that tells us that we've got 12 years to turn things around. David Suzuki spoke at my uh, uh, at my nominating meeting, Evan, and uh, what he said is that the next election is the most important election in the country's history. I believe that, and unless I think unless we have a radical transformation. Away from fossil fuels in a very positive way. Let's look at green energy. Let's look at uh, energy retrofitting. Let's look at building those houses. Okay, but
0: that's different. Hold on.
1: Uh, You said the word radical,
0: so I mean, no new oil and gas. So, yes or no, you would oppose that, like, natural gas pipeline.
1: I you're would, against that. I, I oppose any new oil and gas infrastructure, including that particular one. Spend, not, but you're the leader. Only, but hold on me a say, let me finish. Not only, on, not, yeah. only, not only because we cannot begin to meet our targets, in my view, and I know others disagree, it's a democratic party. Not okay? others. You know. Your leader disagrees.
0: Your leader, Jugmeet Singh, was on this program. I asked him, do you support that natural gas pipeline? Yes, I do. I support that one. He said it's got First Nations support of elected First Nations leaders, uh band office leaders. He supports that. You don't. How do you what does it say about the party when a star candidate like you openly differs from your own leader okay. on a fundamental issue?
1: You know what? What does it say about it? what first of all, what it says is we're a democratic party it's we're we're not a a monolithic party like the liberals and conservatives what it says is that Jugmeet singh and i both agree both agree that justin trudeau has been a disaster and betrayed the trust that he had on the environment he went remember to paris and and canada's back and we're going to meet our targets what does he do he buys a pipeline the Kinder Morgan Pipeline, which, by the way, is ground zero in my constituency. It's those tanks that are on Burnaby Mountain. It's those tankers that are in Broad Inlet. It's the tsleil people, the First Nations, in my constituency that are saying so no. So that'll be your fight. So that'll be part of it. That'll but be part of the fight. But you're but
0: also going to have to fight within your own party. I'm, I'm not going to
1: I'm not gonna have to fight in, in my own party at all. But explain I,
0: that to me. I, uh, I, 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 but it's really important. If people want to vote for the NDP... Yeah. And they know, wait, Jug Singh is running in Burnaby South yeah. and he supports a natural gas pipeline. Sven Robinson is running in Burnaby North Seymour and he doesn't support that. What the heck you know does the that,
1: NDP represent? You know what the NDP represents? I've been door knocking with Jagmeet Singh in Burnaby South. I know Burnaby South, Evan. I used to represent it for 25 years. And what I'm hearing on the doorstep with Jagmeet is that what we are really excited about is we've got a leader who's actually, pre- he's got our back. He's prepared to fight for us to have housing. He's prepared to fight the Kinder Morgan but pipeline. But you guys don't agree. He's prepared but but to fight. this is
0: not NDP policy. I've, to be fair, uh, this is LEAP policy. This is LEAP manifesto stuff. Ending, you want to leave all oil and all natural gas, all fossil fuels in the ground. No, no,
1: you're you're putting words on my mouth. Okay, what are you saying? I didn't say leave everything in the ground. That's not what I said. I said, no, you quoted it. No new oil and gas infrastructure. And I said, we're probably going to have to leave a lot of the oil and gas in the ground if we're going to meet these targets. A lot of people would want to know, again, if there's an NDP
0: government, if you get elected and you're part of the government, would you urge an NDP federal government to rate, we're talking about carbon tax and price on carbon, Mm. would you say raise it higher? to meet the targets,
1: if you want to meet those targets? Uh, Carbon taxes are are one element of of a strategy. But if we're really serious, the only way that we can meet these targets effectively is if we go way beyond just, you know, carbon taxes. We've got to transform our economy. It's got... Maybe you've heard about something called a Green New Deal, right? It's an exciting concept that says we can do things differently. We can, we can build that housing. Jagmeet Singh has talked about 500,000 new housing units. Put those families to work. People say to me, what about Alberta? What about those workers? You don't give a damn about those workers. I've even heard that from some New, some new Democrats. Those workers have children whose planet is in peril. And the last chance we have is the next election to make sure there's enough New Democrats, hopefully led by Jagmeet Singh, to say, we put the, the planet and we put people before corporate profits.
0: All right. Well, uh, two things. Um, would it be fair to say that you're in this to radicalize the NDP a bit more? I'm telling you, you sound different than Jagmeet Singh. You you, you take stronger positions, I would say, further to the, the left if you want to categorize it. Are you fearlessly, now you're back after a 15-year absence, are you trying to radicalize the NDP?
1: I am, I am so proud to be part of a party and part of a movement that is led by a leader who's committed to making a profound difference, not just for the people in his constituency, around issues of housing and around issues of access to medicine. By the way, maybe this is radical. I think we should have a national pharmaceutical company, Evan, a national pharmaceutical company, publicly owned. Are, you that, just,
0: are these NDP policies or are these spend?
1: It's not yet. Sven and I'm Robins, going to work hard I'm, to make it a policy.
0: But do you understand what you're doing? You're on national television. You're floating out policy ideas that you haven't vetted with your leader. Is this a good idea? I think
1: the people of Canada, and I think a lot of New Democrats, are excited about the possibility. So for example, why
0: isn't your leader saying it? I mean, you're running for a guy. You want a national pharmacy, pharmaceutical company? He's never said that. Well, look. You've got positions on things. Give this that guy d-
1: a chance. The fact of the matter is, you've Jagmeet been here ten minutes. You've said more things than he's been here no, a year and a half. Jagmeet Singh is, is is working his butt off in in a constituency, and he's doing a fantastic job. Right. I've been door knocking with him, and we need him in Parliament. Sven Robinson is back. Is he
0: ever? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Nice to see you. All right, that is Sven Robinson coming up. He's fired. Canada's now going to need a new ambassador to China after a controversial series of missteps puts John McCallum out of a job. What does it mean for Canada's China strategy at a critical moment? The Scrum is on next to find out how much damage this has all done. Stay right here with Question Period.
5: This decision should have been made days ago. Instead he's shown weakness on this file and damaged Canada's reputation and our ability to handle this very important issue. Well, on Saturday, Prime
0: Minister Justin Trudeau finally heeded the calls and fired his embattled man in China, Ambassador John McCallum. McCallum, of course, had given that stunning press conference to Chinese media in Markham, Ontario, where he tipped Canada's hand, saying the controversial extradition of the Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou to the U.S. would, quote, not be a happy outcome. Then he apologized for politicizing the process, saying he misspoke for 45 minutes. But days later, McCallum doubled down on his remarks to the Metro star in Vancouver. And finally, Trudeau demanded his resignation. But what does it all say about the Liberals' China policy? And does this put imprisoned Canadians at further risk? Let's bring in the scrum on a lively Sunday morning. With me in studio, Michelle Zilio is a reporter with The Globe and Mail. Bob Fife is The Globe and Mail's Ottawa bureau chief. And Craig Oliver is CTV's chief political commentator... Uh, let's get at this. Um, Bob, Andrew Shear had been calling for Justin Trudeau to fire McCallum for days. He stood by his man, and then then McCallum doubled down. What does this all say about their China policy?
6: They don't have a China policy. It's in complete tatters. Uh, diplomats who have been China experts are saying they, ha- they have failed to recognize that there is a new assertive, aggressive china under president xi jinping and and they still have people like mccallum who soft pedal china look what happened this week this guy blew it big time he goes and gives a news conference which he politicizes it he does political interference and he does disinformation he said that uh trump is to blame for this so he's politicized it he political political interference because he got involved in a court case and thirdly he said that uh this case could be thrown out because of iran sanctions when in fact those sanctions were obama sanctions it was all part of the investigation the guy proved to be incompetent he was should have been fired on the on the day they found out last tuesday and they didn't they gave him a second break, and they should not have done that.
0: Uh, Michelle, what do you make of all this?
7: You know, the damage is done. We now have no top representative in China. We're relying on the deputy to oversee this. Uh, John McCallum was seen as a powerful person in that position. He is no longer there. Completely undermines what the Prime Minister has been saying about how this, you know, the country has been respected Canada has been respecting the rule of law. And the bottom line is that there are two Canadians in prison with no charges, and there's another who has been sentenced to death, and we don't know how this is going to, what this is going to mean for those th- three people. So we're going to see this when the House returns next week, and I believe the opposition are going to make this a major issue.
0: Craig, you're, you weigh in on this, uh, this diplomatic disaster right now.
8: Well, it was foreign policy amateur night. It was a debacle in Delhi without the costume. Uh, M- M- McCullum actually eroded, eroded the issue that the government thought it had going for it, which was that Canada is impartial and fair and balanced, and we'll leave this up to the courts, so people should recognize there are no politics involved here. And then there was he, uh, the man who speaks for Canada on these issues, because ambassadors don't have views. The views are the views of their government. Uh, And he is actually uh, selling the idea that we should not extradite her recommending it, advocating it, uh, which created huge confusion. Did, was it the government's position also? Right. Uh, and the implications here are profound. The United States uh, is in a war with China to win the future, and the future is technology. Uh, and the, whoever controls this new technology is going to control much of where, where the world's going and for the rest of this century. Uh, and so what we've done now is we have put ourselves in a position that the decision, whether to extradite her or not, is going to be a decision about whose side are we on in this massive war that started.
6: Look, what he's done is he has politicized something which the prime minister said should not be politicized. He said it should be part of the legal and judicial process. When he politicized it, Beijing was going, see, he's pro-chi- pro-China. He agrees with us that this is a politically motivated arrest of, of Meng yeah. w- Wanzhou. It was, had nothing to do with the, the a case against her for banking fraud related to U.S. Yeah. sanctions. But, you know, this is going to tear the Liberal Party apart because they have a China policy that's been there for a long time, which is you overlook the bad things about China for trade. Last night I got a phone call from Herb Dollywall, a former Liberal cabinet minister, a big friend of McCollum. He says to me, "What? John McCallum was telling the truth. He should not have been fired, that the Trump people are a nasty, dirty bunch. And he says, and I say, can I quote you on this? He says, yes, you can. He said the Trudeau government is is destroying our China policy that Creighton had cultivated.
0: Okay, well, that is fascinating because... Um, Bob said that many people believe that McCallum well, maybe they didn't want him to say it. He actually is telling the truth about what the government says. Does what does that do? Then how does the government put the toothpaste, Michelle, back in the tube and try to return to this position they've been holding? You know, it's a ru- It's it's our rule of law. It's a judicial process. How do they go back there?
7: This is going to be very difficult for them, Mr. McCallum. Perhaps was saying what many people were thinking, but that was not his job. He was an ambassador, not a politician. He was a politician. You know, when he was on the Hill, Times. Change so now for him, so now the government is going to be in damage wait, control wait, wait, wait. over he, this.
6: It, it, people assume that because he sat at the cabinet table, in fact, was invited back a week ago to sit at the cabinet yeah. table, and he's true to his personal envoy, that he's actually speaking. The government's truth that uh, he's speaking, what the government That's wants what him to say.
0: Do. So what, Craig? Raw politics. Now, Andrew Shearer said you got to fire this guy. They stood by John McCallum. They praised his record, but if he genuinely went rogue after that co- press conference, that means they stood by John McCallum at the expense of their own China policy, and then he screwed well, up again. What does that well, tell they you? They
8: didn't seem to understand that. Uh, this is a government that is looking incompetent on foreign policy issues and i think it's very damaging to them and the prime minister on tuesday was willing to let McCollum go back to china uh... having advocated a policy that his own government apparently right. didn't agree with or didn't agree with it i mean who knows now and you can imagine by the way how infuriated the americans might be they're in a life-or-death struggle on the economy right. and the trade deal with china and there's Canada saying, we're not going to give her back to you. Forget it. All right. Uh, just before we
0: go, I want to take up this issue. Obviously, you saw the terror-related arrest uh, and charge in uh, Kingston, Ontario. Bob, let me start with you on that. Does that combine with other issues around the border? And we spoke to Minister Bill Blair earlier in the program. do all the, Does this put, as MPs return tomorrow, does this put border security, maybe even asylum seekers and, and immigration... Fairly back on the table, yeah, or not? Yeah, it does,
6: and I think it's going to become an election issue as well. The conservatives have tapped into uh, a feeling amongst the ca- Canadians and, and, and it's a, it is in immigrant communities as well that people shouldn't be allowed to ch- queue jump. That these are not these are economic uh, migrants; they're not refugees, mm-hmm. and people don't like it. And if, for example, if there's any possibility that anybody could be a terrorist coming in, it'll mm-hmm. make it even worse for them. So. The government is vulnerable in this.
8: We brought in something like 47,000 immigrants in the last year and a half, two years. Syrian refugees. Syrian Sorry. refugees. Uh, and not once has there been an, a situation of anything anywhere near terrorism. So I think Canadians need to be reminded of that before anybody's allowed to create some other image of some kind of politicization on that but
7: so do the conservatives if they're going to make this border security issue connected to the to the Mm. decision of the government to welcome 47,000 syrians they better be know what they're talking about and be sure that that is actually what happened before they connect the two matters
0: uh fair point all right thanks gotta leave it there bob fife great to see you this morning on this michelle and craig are going to stick around for scrum part two and coming up ontario premier doug ford is doubling down on his anti-carbon tax rhetoric, now taking on elite economists. Is this a winning strategy or a fact-free strategy? We break it down as The Scrum returns with special guest Nick Nano. Stay right here with Question Period.
1: I'm here today to ring the warning bell
0: that the risk of a carbon tax recession is very, very real. So economists weren't buying it when Ontario Premier Doug Ford said the federal government's carbon tax would be the cause of a recession. But that doesn't mean both provincial and federal conservatives aren't opposing it. Is it good politics? Could the carbon tax and the fight against it be behind some record-breaking fundraising for the Conservatives? To talk about that, let's bring back the Scrum. Michelle Zilio from The Globe and Mail is here, of course. Joyce Napier and Craig Oliver from CTV. And our special guest this round is Nick Nano, CEO of Nanos Research. Nick, uh, I just wonder about this because nobody that I can find thinks that Doug Ford is right, that the carbon tax is a direct cause of a recession, Does that matter
5: politically? I don't think so. Hey, the guy won the election on buck a beer, right? So think of it this way. If there is a recession or a downturn in 2019... He will make that connection, and there will be yeah. people that believe that. You know, ironically, there are Canadians that believe that Elvis is still alive. It's not a stretch to think that they would
8: conflict these two things. Most, most uh, global economists, including Nobel Prize winners, are predicting a, re- a recession in the next year and a half globally. Uh, that kind of a slowdown. And so what he's going to do is say, I told you so. But in fact, if you consider the 90%... Uh, of the tax that's going to go back to consumers, that will take a lot of the pressure off. So that's why most economists are saying the result will be sort of... there will be an impact, but it'll be minor.
9: Plus, Justin Trudeau seems to be tying his political future, at least part of the election conversation, to this carbon tax. So it's become a huge target for the opposition because we know that a lot of people don't want to pay today little instead of paying a lot tomorrow... People don't want it. They don't want to pay more. They don't want, they hear tax. It's not carbon pricing. People, they say carbon pricing and voters hear carbon tax because that's the way the opposition is is sort of, is is couching the debate. Right. Right. And it's clever. Look, it's clever. People are not happy with it. They believe in the science, but they don't believe in the
0: tax. But I guess it's province by province, Michelle. Like in Quebec, less of an issue because they've got the cap and trade. In B.C. they've had a carbon tax that's much higher. This clearly, and for Andrew Scheer, may be about the battle for Ontario.
7: Mm-hmm, definitely and I think this is going to be a defining issue when we see the House resume on Monday you know this fight between the provinces and the federal government and then where Mr. Shear aligns himself on all of this we have Ontario and Saskatchewan taking the feds to court over this and then we have another issue with immigration in Quebec so that provincial federal relationship is going to be very important heading into this election yeah, year. I,
5: know, I don't understand how anyone can conceivably believe that a tax is a path to victory for any politician Yeah, you know the real Realistically, the Liberals got to check this, put it behind them as good public policy, and shift to other things. Do you think in it's behind this rise mechanism.
0: in the conservative spending? Like, are things oh. starting to work for
5: Andrew Scheer? Well, they're not necessarily starting to work for Andrew Scheer, but he's benefiting from what the Liberals are doing because the focus is on the Liberals, it, and when the focus is on a politician, they usually suffer. So, this has helped motivate the conservatives, open up wallets,
8: and galvanize volunteers. A liberal nightmare is to be reminded of Joe Clark who basically proposed a kind of carbon tax, a tax on gasoline. And to the surprise of everyone, he was defeated by the other Trudeau. Uh,
0: The other issue, well, that's right. And the other other issue, uh, let me just talk quickly about the NDP in this role, Michelle, because we had Sven Robinson on. He's a star candidate, 25 years in Parliament. But, I mean, he openly and flatly contradicts Jagmeet Singh, even on resources. He's against an LNG pipeline in B.C. that the NDP government there supports, and it's the one pipeline Singh supports. Is, is Sven Robinson a problem for Jagmeet Singh?
7: He might be, and other MPs might be for Mr. Singh as well. I mean, on in, on top of them having very low fundraising numbers last year, they're seeing divisions amongst their members on their major opinions on things. We saw this with the Venezuelan issue this week. Nikki Ashton issuing tweets, uh, you know, criticizing the government for, um, for its position and supporting the Venezuelan opposition leader. And Mr. Singh won't denounce those tweets and he's not being very clear on where he stands on maduro so th- you know this is a major issue and it's just one example along with the resource issue of how the ndp needs to get its act together on its platform here
0: uh let me talk about monday nick uh, all mps will be back here in ottawa this is the last session before Uh, the federal election what do you think the big issues will be
5: obviously the china
0: issue but what do you think the big issues will be in this
5: spring i think the big issues are going to be liberal management of everything whether it's the usmca the relationship with china carbon tax and the opposition parties trying to portray the liberals as not in control and not doing a good job at managing the state of the nation Michelle?
7: For me, it's more specific. I would say the immigration issue is one we need to watch heading into this year. You know, we're seeing the arrests in Kingston last week uh, uh, with links to terrorism-related offenses. How are the Conservatives going to interpret that? And then how far in are the Liberals and the Conservatives going to dig their heels in on their immigration policies? A lot of that is going to be driven by public opinion.
0: Yeah. Joyce, what do you think the big issues?
9: I think carbon is going to be a big issue. I think they're going to come back with that because that's the one they've been hammering away at because somewhere something is telling them that it's working. I think immigration, I think Michelle is quite right, especially with what happened in Kingston. And, you know, it just works beautifully into their narrative that these people are not vetted, that, these, that we have to be careful with refugees. The whole sort of, their whole conversation, I think it's going to be those two topics.
8: Uh, you know, I think that not since the separatist era, the threat of Quebec uh, independence um, in the 70s and the crisis then, uh, has there been a government that's been faced with so many uh, crises outside of their control as the Trudeau government has been uh, challenged with. So I think that their management of the country's affairs is really going to be the underlying issue as people go mm-hmm. to the ballot box. And yeah. watch
7: the foreign yes. files. You know, we don't see right. a lot of Canadian voters in past elections vote on foreign policy issues. But this election might be one of those elections where foreign issues are driving the well, polls. Well,
0: they may drive this notion of competence, right? Because competent, everything plays into the idea of competence, and
5: competence mm-hmm, yeah. drives voters. When, when foreign policy intersects with jobs... That's like things like trade, trade with China, trade with the United States. It becomes a vote driver. When it doesn't, not so much.
0: All right, got to leave it there. Thanks to everybody. Obviously, uh, Nick, Joyce, Craig, and Michelle, everyone, great to see you here. And Parliament is back tomorrow. We will be watching them, and we will be seeing you back here in seven days.